welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to The Rock Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back again as we are literally every single Monday. And today we're starting a new series, A Charles Pick, unfortunately, which he absolutely loves. And believe it or not, I had heard of these, but after reading the first book, I think I might have been thinking of something else. So I don't know if this technically counts as that. And the series is going to be The Children of the Lamp series by P.B. Care. And the first book that we read this week is The Akhenaten Adventure. I probably say this every time we have one of my picks, but I loved these books as a kid. Duh. My siblings and I read all of them. But I am most familiar with the first four because they were out and published when I was reading them. Five, six, and seven came out later, and I think I read them as they came out, but I'm not sure. I do know that I reread the whole series Again, my senior year of high school, which was super fun. And I'm excited to share them with you. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, but we're going to try to be good and get to your actual thoughts as we get to them. Before you summarize, I'm going to give a quick intro just so we're acquainted with our world. So this is going to be a really short intro because there wasn't actually a lot online. So there's seven books. They were published from 2004 to 2011 by Scottish author P.B. Care. They kind of flew under the radar because he was most well-known for adult series. And I don't mean adult in, like, an inappropriate way, like, written for adults. Um, They were called the Gunther series, and it's about a P.I. in Germany as the Nazis take over. And so he was really known for fiction for adults. So these books were a bit of a departure. Critics generally liked them, but they said they were more adult in their style and not necessarily like, written well for children, which I don't know if I necessarily feel that, but apparently also critics appreciated that they they got more children favorable as they went on. Unfortunately, Care actually passed away in 2018, and Paramount does own the rights to the series, but they have not made any movement on any sort of media adaptation, so it's kind of probably a series that's going to just kind of, I don't want to say fade into obscurity because that's really depressing, but kind of is what it is in the books. Well, at least it'll live on since, you know, we have to cover this whole series on throwback paperback. So it will live on here. Good point. But I guess now it's time for our summary. And I'll just say these might be wonky because it is an entire book and this These books are a lot longer than the ones we've covered in one week, so I'm just apologizing in advance if this seems a little all over the place. Let's just dive right in. So we have John and Philippa Gaunt, who are twins who live in Manhattan and have quite an unusual life. They're rich and precocious and smart and all that main character energy. But funny things start happening to them, so they go to visit their estranged uncle, Nimrod, in London, and he reveals to them that they are in fact jinn and have supernatural powers. They are part of one tribe. Just prepare yourself now, there's a lot of hard words, and I'm going to get them wrong. But let's... <laughs> I'm going to try my best. So they are part of one tribe, the Marid, 
Merid. Merid, and they are in constant battle with the evil tribes. Importantly, the Ifrit. 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 Run by Iblis. Yes. And Iblis and Nimrod are chasing to recover 70 lost jinn held by Egyptian king Akhenaten, and they have various adventures relating to this while the children are also learning to control their jinn power. So a lot happening. We're going to go a little bit more in detail as we go through throughout the episode, but just giving my first impression, as would be suspected, this wasn't my favorite so far, but this is only the first book, so I'm going to try to really withhold my judgment. I felt that this book was a lot of exposition, so just kind of setting it up. This is a seven-book series, so yeah, it was just like a lot of like exposition, so it really like wasn't that interesting, at least to me personally. Like It's just a lot of adventure and a lot going on. I feel like as we go into further books, I'll feel a little bit more settled into what the story is, but... Yeah, at this point, I'm at that I just don't care point. But no hating, no loving, right in the middle. Well, that's kind of classic for you. But I can't, you know, I totally understand. I I didn't think the story was particularly compelling, I guess, for my, well, I don't know. I understand that the story wasn't that compelling. I find it very easy to read these books, but mostly because I find that they're not, like, particularly deep. They're just really enjoyable. But I understand what you mean. That like I can understand that this would not be something that would appeal to you, per se. And my most important impression was that I forgot there were going to be snakes. As we know, I hate snakes. And there's going to be a lot of them. And it's going to annoy me. Great. Yeah. I don't know about spiders, but there'll definitely be snakes. So, diving in to the plot, our main characters, as you mentioned, John and Philippa Gaunt, they're the children of Edward and Layla, and they have two very, very smart Rottweilers, Neil and Alan, and they are very, 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 very rich. And all I wrote at the beginning was that, ew, they live on the Upper East Side. That's so judgmental. I mean, Upper East Side isn't my preferred neighborhood, but, like, if you got the money, you might as well. Yeah. And they live in the best part of the Upper East Side. They live on, like, 77th Street. Like, it's not like they live on, like... Well, now I'm going to start calling out neighborhood, so let's not do that. But, like, I like East 77th Street. You're so close to the park. Eh, I guess I'm just, like, a West Side girly at heart, so. I mean, me too. If it was a choice between Upper East and Upper West, we know I would I would choose Upper West any day. Yeah, that's just how I feel about it. But, you know, to live on either side would be great. Yeah, for real. Well, some more about the kids. They get claustrophobic, which is foreshadowing and important for later well yeah that's a good segue because so (laughs) probably the funniest part of this book for me was apparently that john and philippa are very very fit while the rest of their classmates are described as being lazy and overweight because they're claustrophobic and since they're claustrophobic they live in new york city they don't like to take elevators so they just run up 50 flights of stairs on a regular basis which what are we getting throwing back to some abnegation <laughs> some abnegation beliefs here or not beliefs but behavior i'm no, sorry no it's the dauntless that are running are we everywhere. throwing back to 
No, that was the abnegation behavior that they would take the stairs because they, were being they would let everyone else take the elevator. But yes, Dauntless like just ran everywhere for fun, but the abnegation would take the stairs so that other people could take the elevator. That's true. So terrible. But you know, at least we have an explanation from the very beginning for how I'm assuming they'll be able to like run everywhere on all of their adventures without getting tired because I feel like in every sort of action fantasy series whatever there's always lots of running but the main characters never get tired like they're just constantly running and like fine yeah we've got an explanation early on it's like world building like they we understand at least that they've got superpowers and the line about like all their classmates being so lazy and fat. I was like, you can tell this was written by a... There are a couple moments in the series, but this is, like, one of them. I was like, you can tell this was written by a Brit, like, in the era in which, like, all... A lot of people thought about Americans were that they were fat. Which, you know, obviously there's a huge obesity problem, and, like, not to undercut that at all. But, like, you, you know, as someone who lived in Europe when these books were being published, um, like... That was a lot of my encounters with Europeans were like, Americans are all just fat. And like, this is kind of that, this kind of reads like that. Like, Americans are lazy and stupid and fat. Yeah. I don't know if you felt that way, but that's how it read to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of shocked, but um, yeah. Yeah. So the plot really starts to get going because the kids get their wisdom teeth. Yes, and they are only 12 years old. These twins, I don't think we mentioned their age, but they're only 12, and they have their wisdom teeth, which I don't know if all of our listeners out there realize, like, that's really, really young to get your wisdom teeth. Like, I know some people get them in, like, high school, get them removed, but still, like, 12, that's like you're barely in middle school. So I was just like, what is going on? What is this book? And then their mom says something about wanting to keep their removed wisdom teeth and dip them in gold and make them into a bracelet, which that was just like so random and like so odd. Like, is she a serial killer? Okay, she was 100% obviously clearly joking. Like that-, that was not a good joke. That was really creepy. Like, <laughs> don't joke about teeth making it into jewelry. Like, that is psychopath stuff. Well, the dragon teeth as the the djinn call them the wisdom teeth they're super important and i'm sure you've already figured out why they're super important besides the fact that like it tells you that you're of like djinn age but like if you've been paying attention in the book you can tell that like the teeth are going to be important right well we all know i wasn't paying attention so (laughs) would you like to enlighten us or not yet well no i would not that would be considered a spoiler but if you've been paying close attention to the reading, it was hinted at a couple times that the teeth are going to be important in the future. Holding on to the teeth. Yes, though there is nothing that requires them to be dipped in gold and worn as a bracelet. She was clearly joking, but... Well, I did get that because she was like immediately like she wanted to keep them. So I get that. So yeah, that's another hint. But I... Still, to me, wouldn't you wouldn't be able to guess, or I have no idea, like, what they could be used for. Like, maybe some sort of rite of passage when you get, like, your full gin power. Well, I surely will not be telling you, because that would be a spoiler, but I'm sure some listeners who are paying better attention during the reading will have figured it out. Hopefully. 
So they go under the anesthesia and they are in a joint dream. Wait, backtrack. How old were you when you got your wisdom teeth out? I got my wisdom teeth out right when I got home from my freshman year of college. So I was still 18. Gonna be 19 soon. I got mine when I was 17 and a half. So, and I think that's on the on the earlier side. I had some friends who got them in it, like out in high school, like junior year, maybe would probably be. Yeah, I got mine out like the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. Yeah, which I would consider that to be like early-ish. But yeah, anything before like junior or senior year of high school to me was like extremely early. But like, I feel like the average was sometime near the end of high school to beginning of college age was like, seemed to be the dynamic of like, when all my friends got them out. That's when all my friends got it. Like, I got mine out because... I remember because that's the only, like, major surgery I've ever had, like, going under anesthesia. And it is, like, you don't remember anything. Like, I didn't form any memories. Like, my mom took videos of me, and I have no recollection of any of those things happening. I just remember them putting the IV in to put me out, like, counting back from 10, and then I, like, came to... I think for a minute in the car, then don't remember anything else. And then I remember like being home when my mouth started to hurt. Really? I, so it, for me also, knock on wood, the only time I've had like a full invasive, like knock you out surgery. But when I, I woke up in the dentist's office and, or I guess the oral surgeon's office. And I remember waking up. I remember leaving. I remember everything on the way home. Um, like, like, I don't have any, and I also, like, I don't think I said anything funny, so, like, they didn't even film me, like, being You said you remember everything? Yes, like, I remember waking up, and I remember leaving, and, like, I remember them being, like, just be careful, don't walk too fast, you might trip, and I was, like, excuse me, I'm gonna be fine. Because, like, I I have, like, very vague memories of, like, because they put me in the wheelchair and like they took me out to the car and like I definitely remember on the car ride like speaking nonsense but like I don't actually have real memories of that like I have some of it from like the videos my mom took but like my actual memory like I do remember like once I was at home like so it's just like I don't know to me like for anybody out there who's had like a major surgery whether it's wisdom teeth or something else like it is just like totally crazy to think like you lost so many hours of your life that like you have no recollection of like that's so weird yeah i didn't even get a wheelchair but especially when like because yeah like they had to get me out of there so like i was so out of it that like obviously when i was unconscious but like when i woke up the fact that i was like behaving and like talking and like i don't remember that at all is like crazy but were you under like fully or like did they i was knocked out fully like i remember falling asleep but you remember everything so maybe they didn't give you as big of a dosage maybe they like overdosed me i remember falling asleep and i remember waking up and i didn't need a wheelchair and no i don't remember falling asleep like i remember like them putting the iv in and then i remember i looked up at the ceiling because i didn't want to see them put the needle in and they're like count to 10 or something and then the next memory i have of like is like being at home like actually because like i feel like i have like maybe flashes of memory of like being in the wheelchair but i feel like that's also like false memories because i have, have a video videos that i've seen of myself yeah. yeah interesting i just was curious because i thought that might be interesting for our listeners but 
you know, because, you know, it could be interesting. Anyway, Vandergo, their anesthesia, and they're in a joint dream, and their British uncle, Nimrod, is there, and he's talking about luck, super mumbo-jumbo. And the thing I always loved about these books, and also The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel, is I love the twin dynamic. Like, I like that they can sense each other, and sometimes they can, like, work as a team, like, mentally. And books like this always made me want a twin. Like, I wanted someone that I understood like that. Really? I don't think I've ever truly had the desire to have a twin because I, or at least not an identical twin. Like, I guess, like, a fraternal twin, especially, like, a boy-girl dynamic would be nice because I feel like you get the, like, camaraderie of having a twin, but, like, you don't have to have the identity crisis (laughs) of having someone that looks just like you and literally has the same, like, genes as you and, like, DNA. Sure. So I get that, but I don't know if I've ever necessarily had that desire. Well, also twins in the real world don't have, like, super, like, natural brainwave connections. So it's not, it's a fantasy that I wanted. Like, I wanted a twin that I, like, could telepathically communicate with, but that's not real. You have fantasies about twins. You have fantasies about your Sims getting married in the bathroom. Charles has a very wide variety of dreams. Okay. Let's move on from that. So, (laughs) back to the story. Their uncle Nimrod says that they should come visit him in this dream, and... I just had some thoughts here because, again, these twins, these children, are 12 years old and they just got their wisdom teeth out and now they're going to be traveling to another country alone, like a transatlantic journey by themselves. And I know, like, they're going to meet their uncle right away, but it just, like, doesn't seem like a good idea, especially on top of the fact that they're claustrophobic. Like, that seems like a lot for two 12-year-olds who are claustrophobic to fly on an airplane, which is literally a small tube catapulting through the air alone. That just seems like a lot. But, like, I guess at least they have each other, which is the benefit of having a twin, I guess. Yeah. How early did you fly by yourself, like, on a long, like, transatlantic or transcontinental flight? Well, so the first time I flew by myself was when I flew to New York for college audition. So from California to New York, which is a long flight. Yeah, that's a good yeah. And I think I had flight. a layover. Oh. And so you would have been like 16, 17? I was 17. It was my senior year of high school. But then as far as a f- flying alone to another country, I flew to Nicaragua from So you would have been 18 then. California? And I was, yes, no, I was 19. That was, that was like a study abroad thing I did in the summer between freshman and sophomore year of college. And then, but like the farthest I've ever flown by myself was probably when I came back from Germany back to New York by myself. That was probably the longest like journey I've had alone. And like now obviously I'm an adult and it doesn't matter. And I fly alone all the time. And it kind of just sucks because, like, you have to keep all your stuff with you at all times so nobody steals anything. Like, but I would not have wanted to fly by myself at 12. I guess if, like, you have a twin, like, if you were with a friend, it wouldn't be as scary. But I remember flying by myself at 17 
And, like, I think my flight, like, got canceled and I, like, had to get changed. So it's just, like, stressful. Oh, see, I think I flew by myself for the first time. I think I was 14 and I was coming. I was in the States for the summer vacation. I was flying back to Europe and I was so excited. I I guess because, like, don't some airlines, like, the, like, all the flight attendants know when you're, like, a kid flying, right? Yeah, if you're, like, under, if you're, like, 12 or under, like... I don't think you can fly. They generally, like... I don't think you can fly under 12 by yourself, right? Maybe, like, you have to clear 12, and then, like, the airlines have to be a notified. Well, they have to know that you're a minor. I think it's if you're a minor flying by yourself. Like, I... Or maybe under 16 or something. I I was so excited to fly by myself. Like, I... Why and were you flying I, by yourself? Where were you going? I was flying from D.C. to to Vienna, Austria, where I was living. But why were you in D.C. alone? My family was coming back in shifts. Like, my sister had, like, a college tour, and, like, my brothers were already back for, like, sports boot camp or something like that. I don't remember exactly Why reason. were you alone? Like, how did like, you it by yourself? Did you set that up because you no. wanted to fly by yourself? I mean, I did want to, I'm sure that I was given the option to fly, like, earlier or, like, I was probably given the option to fly earlier or spend more time in the States on vacation. I chose vacation also knowing I get to fly by myself. I mean, I grew up <laughs> a flying a lot. A win-win situation for little Charles. But I love flying by myself. And I love really? my family. Flying by myself is my favorite thing ever because for the reason you don't like it, I love that you're just holding on to all your things. Because when you're in a big family... Why, that means if you're... But if you're... I guess if you're... Okay, I guess flying with a big family is different. Whereas I'm like, you're flying with like one person. Or even with my family, it's just four people. Yeah, it's true. When you're flying with one person, like whenever I would fly with just my mom or like just one sibling, that's always the most fun. But like flying by yourself is great because you get to... Is it? Like <laughs> I would distinctly remember I was in an airport once. I was in Frankfurt Airport and my dad was holding all our passports because it's totally understandable. He's responsible for all of us. But, like, I just went to the bathroom. And I technically crossed over into another terminal. When I just, like, crossed, like, I went into a bathroom. And I went through one door. And then I was trying to get back in the door. It didn't open. And they're like, you're in the wrong terminal. And I was like, okay, well, I just need to get over there. And they were like, well, you can't because you don't have your passport. And I was, like, probably, like, 12 or 13. Like, I was old enough to, like, know exactly what was going on. And I was like, I never want to experience this ever again. Like, if I had just been allowed to hold my own... Okay, well, then you just take your passport with you Go to when you go to the bathroom. Also, you were 12. But that's why my... Yeah, I guess for me. All you had to do in that situation was start screaming and crying, and they would have reunited you with your parents. You'd be like, they're trying to kidnap me. My parents are over there, and they're not allowing me to get back to my parents. Boom, well, situation that's not how solved. I like to solve my problems. So, I understand what you're saying. If you flew in a family of six your entire life, and we flew a lot because we lived abroad, we... You would, I can imagine that you were just like, you would like to just be, f- also for your personality, you'd want to be in full control of your own situation, whereas, like you're saying, if your parents had your passports, like, it was just... Which is good. Parents should hold on to their children's passports. They're very, very important documents. Like, I totally understand. My parents are being responsible. I'm not ragging on them at all. But, like, for me, personally, I was like, this is so annoying. Just let me fly by myself. So I, when they were like, we're 12, we're going to fly by ourselves to London. I was like, totally. And their dad's going to fly them on first class. I was like, even better. Flying first class, that's like, that's not even flying. Like, that's the easiest thing ever. You don't have to wait in line ever. 
Well, I've never flown first class, so I don't know that luxury yet. But sorry. <laughs> I did fly in a private plane. I'll put that out there. But um no, yeah, but I think my biggest thing is yeah, cuz like if you're at your gate and you have to go to the bathroom, like you have to pick up all your stuff, you lose your seat, like that's like the main reason why it's like nice to have somebody there cuz you don't have to bring everything with you. But like I would always when I go to the bathroom have like my purse like or like your personal item that has like your wallet your phone your boarding pass yeah like all your important documents for yeah if you were to like get separated for whoever you're with also because now like if you're traveling with someone else you are an adult so you would pretty much always be responsible for your own things true even if it is with your family now anyway those are our differing reactions to these 12 to 12 year olds but I still felt it was too young, but mainly also because, like, they're claustrophobic. Like, that's... It's a good point. It's a good point. Doesn't seem like a good mix, but... So, then we have some crazy things happen. Mrs. Trump, their housekeeper, wins the lottery of $33 million. And I just wanted to say, they mentioned that she's now almost as rich as her employers, which is, like, how wealthy are the gaunts that, like... I think they're rocking at, like, a solid $40 million. Like, because if she's almost as wealthy as them, they're, like, at 40 or 50 I mean, if they're living on the Upper East Side and they can just jet-set their children off by themselves to London. First class. Like, they have to be And they own a townhouse well. in the Upper East Side. Like, a townhouse in the Upper East Side. This was written 10, 15 years ago. Would have cost... 10, 15 million dollars. Yeah. Honestly, I would have wanted to be in the book just so I could be rich. <laughs> yeah. Ain't that the truth? And then Otis and Melody, which are Philippa and John's seat neighbors on the plane, they just vanish off the plane at this point. At one point, like there's a whole scene where the flight attendants are asking Philippa and John if they've seen them because they need to have the seatbelt sign on and they're missing from their seats and they've looked all over the plane and they can't find them. And they were asking Philippa and John because they were the last people to speak to them. And all they were saying is how they don't like flying, basically. Like, I think they were from, like, some small town and they don't like to fly. It was like an older couple. Poughkeepsie. They're from Poughkeepsie, New York. Yes. And so, but they were like, they don't like flying. they like really wished that they weren't on the plane like they didn't want to be there and obviously we didn't know this now but by the end you can kind of make this connection because obviously like john even kind of is like if they looked for them all over the plane and they're not there like they must not be on the plane like they somehow got off because it was like it almost felt like they disappeared into thin air but also since philippa was the main person talking to them I was wondering, like, did she somehow, like, teleport them back home? Because she, like, fell asleep. And when she woke up, they were gone. Well, you were definitely on to something. So they basically get to Nimrod. And he tells them that they're jinn, like genies in the Arabian Nights. Like, the whole, like, three wishes. Like, all, like, you can basically do anything with... I know the jinn would hate it, but magic. Like... He tells them that that's kind of, like, who they are and what their powers are. So you weren't far off. Like, they must... Philippa, like, subliminally granted the wish of the lottery and the wish of this this couple to be back home. Which is honestly really cool. 
So they call them their children of the lamp or jinn, as Charles said, which like I said are basically genies, even though like I guess they find genies as an offensive term. So they go by the jinn or children of the lamp. And we find out that they're claustrophobic because of this, because, you know, obviously jinn are used to or traditionally they get like trapped in a lamp or a bottle so like i guess that's like why they have this like innate sense of claustrophobia and they are also comforted by being like warm or really hot which i think had to do with like being based out of egypt right like that's their like natural climate well it's apparently that they're made out of fire oh it was the made out of the fire i almost forgot yeah it's that they're made from fire, like made or made from fire. So they're like not affected by heat. Like they're actually really comforted by it, which, you know, is like the absolute opposite for me. Like that sounds awful <laughs> to be like hot all the time. Yeah, it sounds horrible. Like, is there like an ice equivalent that I could be instead? Cause Elsa from Frozen. Yeah. So Nimrod tells them that they are good gin. They're part of the Merid tribe. And so is their, like, spiritual guide, Mr. Rakshashas. I'm just going to butcher that name myself. Um, He, Mr. Rakshashas lives in a lamp with Nimrod, and he's just kind of, like, there. He's also a Merid. And Nimrod says that Neil and Alan were actually Edwards, their dad's brothers, and they wanted to kill him for his money, but Layla turned them into their pet dogs, which is why they're, like, super smart. And basically act like people because they were people. And so they've kind of been around Jin power. It also like explains why their mother is like super freaking glamorous. Like she's the most beautiful person ever. She can do everything super well, probably just because she like gave her super good talents when she was a she gave herself talents. But they are very clear to mention that her their dad got all of his money by his own powers. Like it wasn't Layla giving him money. He earned all his money himself. So, anyway. There had to be a little American capitalism in there. Of course. And also, I thought that was something that was interesting they said was how... Because, so, their dad isn't Jin, but if the mom is Jin and the dad is human, the children will be Jin. But if the dad is Jin and the mom is human, then the children won't get the Jin powers. Yeah, it passes matrilineally. Through the mother. Yeah, maternally. So, from London, they end up flying to Egypt to practice their gin training. And because it's hot and an, ancest- an ancestral home of the gym, so they're just enjoying the heat. And as this was going along, I was actually kind of changing my mind, thinking, you know, maybe I'd want to be gin because, you know, not ever being uncomfortable in heat would definitely improve my quality of life. And... Also, you got, like, the superpowers, and, like, the main thing they're practicing at first is, like, how to make things disappear and appear. And the powers are, like, super, super cool. Like, we get to see them do a lot of cool things with their powers. They do have a focus word, which is just a magic word. And Philippa's is really stupid. I didn't even bother writing it down. She makes up her own word, and it's, like, 500 letters long. So we're never going to say that one. Um... John chooses abecedarian, which is just means alphabetical, which I always thought was very cool as a kid. And I really like Nimrods, which is queer to you up, which is just the first line of letters on a keyboard, which is, I think, really creative. 
Oh, yeah. And I just thought it was really funny that Mr. Rakshasas is sesquipedalian, which just means, like, loquacious and of too many words. And he's like, I'm never going to use this in, a, in, like, daily life. And I literally used this on an episode of our podcast when we were talking about... It was the one from last week when we were talking about talking to dragons and the changes from the first book to the second when they when it was republished as the last book that on the Wikipedia article defining the changes, Telemaine was described as not being sesquipedalian in the original, but then when that became a character in the later series, like when it became a character trait, that was added in. And I was like, I literally use this word on our podcast last week. So I guess it couldn't be your magical word. So this is our homework. You have to think of a focus word for next week. Get out your dictionary. It can be anything. I'll do it too. Yes, but it has to follow within what they do. Like, it can't be a word that you're going to use accidentally. Okay. Got to write down the homework assignment. We'll try to remember for next week. I mean, I need to do it too, so. So you need to remind me. Okay. Anyway, let's keep going. But yeah, I thought it was cool that they kind of get to pick their focus word as opposed to like them all having to say the same thing. Yeah. And they also learn that using their power does cost some life force and it's approximately a wish per day of life, but it varies. So for every wish you give or cast, spell you cast, whatever, you lose a day of your life. So obviously it's just kind of teaching them to like not abuse their power because it's not limitless okay just yeah i don't think it's going to be particular that's going to be like that important for the two of them it's definitely going to come back up so it's good to know but they're our main characters they're not going to run out of their life force but it is basically no i thought it was more important for like some of the older yeah characters. it's like why mr rakshas isn't like doing a bunch of crazy gin magic is because like it burns He's up your life He's closer to the force. end of his life. Exactly. Yeah. And the older you get, the more it costs. So, like, as 12-year-old, they got plenty of life force. It's just basically so that you don't, like, just continuously do magic tricks. Yeah, it makes it so it's not limitless. So. You do not have unlimited power. They then have a bunch of adventures in Egypt. And, like, okay, I don't think either of us have that much to say. But basically, they're in Egypt. And... They're fighting with Iblis, who's the negative jinn tribe, the Ifrit. They're trying to, like, track down the 70 jinn that belong to the Egyptian king, Akhenaten. Because if they can recruit the 70 jinn, they'll be, like, a force for good in the world. And if Ifrit, if the Ifrit get them, they'll be a force for evil. And they're basically, like, following this trail of clues. And Nimrod gets captured, but they free him. And, like, they fight Iblis because he's been stalking them, living in this woman's headband. And then, essentially, they realize that the 70 Jinn are in a scepter, which is in the British Museum. Do we need to go into further detail about that? Because I really feel like we don't. Nope. Pass. Let's keep going. Like, we didn't have... It's just a bunch of action. Like, it's not really anything to, like, comment on. Yeah. Oh, except we should mention, because this is going to be important later, they do capture Iblis, because Nimrod, like, springs a trap on him, and he puts him in his freezer in Egypt, and because the jinn are made of fire and they run hot, cold is, like, really bad for them, it slows them down, it kind of makes them, like, 
you know, like they freeze kind of. So they definitely have one over on Iblis because he is frozen in a freezer in Nimrod's palace in Egypt. So then they break into the British Museum, get the gin, and go to the North Pole to get rid of Akhenaten. Again, it's because, like, they capture Nimrod and Akhenaten in the same jar, and they're like, well, how do we slow Akhenaten down so we can go in and free Nimrod? So they go to the North Pole, where it's, like, super cold. It really is, like, we're breezing to the action, but, like, it is kind of how it went in the book. Like, the first, I would say, two-thirds were, like, them getting to Egypt and all the exposition, and then the last third is plot, right? Yeah. And since this is our first episode of the show of the series, we should do the exposition more anyway. They get the seventy gin, which is great, and so yeah, that's kind of like it. They go back to New York. They're gonna continue to be young gin, have a relationship with Nimrod, have a relationship with their parents. All good. It was like I said, it was mostly exposition and world building. So Asia, what do you think of the world? So overall, kind of like I said at the beginning, it was just okay for me right now it did really remind me of the nicholas flamel series you know with our young twin main characters surrounded by a bunch of adult characters which i think charles might have like already referenced this and since this book was mainly exposition like we've said and it just kind of explained how everything with the gin work i didn't like i wasn't as intrigued like i don't think it's that i didn't enjoy it but i just wasn't like thinking of this as, like, a super big page-turner because I feel like I'm just settling into the story. And hopefully as we keep going, I'll become more invested in it like I did with the Nicholas Flamel series. So I think it was fine. I thought it was also interesting that I think at the end, don't John and Philip basically tell their parents that they're, like, not going to use their gin powers unless, like, their parents are okay with it? Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. I'm skeptical. But they, like, presented as that, because, like, obviously, to like, the dad, like, doesn't, I don't think it's that he's not aware, but, like, he doesn't like it, or, like, doesn't want them to be using it, or, like, doesn't want the mom to use it. Yeah, I think he's kind of, like, given up on that, but, like, the mom kind of, like, willingly chose to not be a djinn, and they were going to try to raise the kids to not be djinn, but... But obviously, at when they lose their wisdom teeth, they become djinn, so, like, there's kind of no stopping it. And, like, otherwise they would have had to, like, had to, like, kind of suppress it, which is, like, kind of toxic, so. It's not good. Yeah. Anyway, my final thoughts. I really like the world. I'm very excited to keep reading. The next book is crazy, so just fair warning. And we should mention, because he's a main character, but, like, because he was kind of, like, tied up in the action part, we didn't mention him. Nimrod has a butler. His name is Gronin, Mr. Gronin. And he is, like, he's going to be a super important character as the series goes on. And he only has one arm. He lost his arm in an accident with a tiger. And I just thought, like, this book was written in 2004. Like, that's pretty good, like, disability awareness for 2004. That, like, a main character has one arm. And then when given the choice to have a new arm added magically chooses not to because he's like this is who i am this is what my life has been for the last like whatever years and it's you know working for me and like i was like wow that's like kind of ahead of its time i think 
Well, obviously he wasn't that main of a character since we hadn't even mentioned him in we hadn't even mentioned him until now. Okay, can you say Mr. Rakshish's name for us, please? Mr. Rakshishus. Yeah, I guess that's fine. That was probably I liked his name. His was fun. Once you know how to say it. But yeah, because you didn't I wrote down about Gronin. I think he's the one who like ran away from when they get attacked by the giant scorpion. Yeah, yeah. I thought that part was funny. Yeah, he's going to be around for the action. He's not a djinn, though, which we should mention. You said he's the, but- he's the butler. Yes. A human being. A human being. Well, I guess that's it, then. Yeah. For our first so, book. So, that's it. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm on the fence, and probably going to... F- go on the wrong side of the fence because I still don't think I'm going to enjoy this, but I'm trying to keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. So next week we'll be reading the second book, The Blue Jinn of Babylon. So if you read along, you can finish the whole book for next week. And if you have predictions, serious questions, you want to share your focus order with us, remember you can stay in touch with us. Well, you know the deal, but you go to the Nerd Party website dot com slash contact you click on our icon that'll send us an email you can also get in touch with the network on twitter at your nerd party or instagram at the nerd party or facebook.com slash the nerd party and to find me i'm at seashells on instagram and i'm at asia bonia on tiktok and at asia.bonia on instagram if you enjoyed this make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends and of course check out the other podcasts on the nerd party network But as always, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Hit that subscribe button. Have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.